following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw or our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Well, um, happy Queen's birthday weekend, everybody. And for any Americans in the uh, audience, I know at least a couple, and of course my wife. Uh, Memorial Day this weekend, happy Memorial Day last Monday, was it, I think, in the States? Mickey doesn't know. Um, although it is a kind of a, celebra- a, a commemoration of those who have uh, died in war. So I'm not sure the word happy is appropriate there, but we acknowledge it anyway. Uh, but it's interesting, it's a, a kind of an interesting coincidence uh, that Memorial Day was this week because I've been doing a little bit of reading up on some of our own exploits on the battlefield, uh, specifically this group of people, the uh, 28th Māori Battalion um, in World War II. I don't know if you know much about these guys. Very interesting story, very interesting group of soldiers. They're an exclusively Māori Battalion, uh, formed exclusively for this war. They were disbanded afterwards. Uh, and it gave a new generation of Māori men a chance to kind of live out their warrior heritage. And boy, did they. I mean, they just went nuts on the enemy over four different arenas. They uh, really caused a lot of havoc. In fact, they got a reputation uh, on both sides as being a very formidable force. In fact, Erwin Rommel, who was one of uh, Germany's best generals, was rumored to have said, give me the Māori battalion and I'll conquer the world. Yeah, that's pretty high praise coming from the enemy. And he uh, had some first-hand experience with these guys as well. They became the most decorated battalion in New Zealand history. Uh, between them, they got a Victoria Cross and then another guy who was recommended for it but didn't get it. Uh, seven distinguished service orders and something like 90 other individual awards. Which is pretty impressive. These guys were the real deal. But of course, not everything was smooth sailing for the 28th. Uh, Because of their reputation amongst the Allied commanders, they were often put right on the front line, and they were the spearhead for a lot of the offenses, so they suffered some pretty heavy casualties. Of the 3,600 men that served in the 28th, 650 were killed, 1,700 were injured, and 237 were captured by the enemy. There was a particularly rough patch in 1941 during a two-month period during battles in Greece and Crete, Two months, remember, they lost 192 men and 150 captured. They were pushed back by the Germans again and again. They were in constant retreat as the Nazis bore down on them. I just can't imagine how horrible it must have been for them. I mean, the shells are falling left and right. They're constantly getting pushed back. They're constantly in retreat, having to run backwards and backwards. And constantly their comrades, their friends are falling at their sides. It must have been incredibly demoralizing. But there was a phrase. There was a battle cry that echoed down throughout the ranks during this time. Ake, ake, kia kaha e. Forever, forever be strong. Fantastic phrase. And they popularized this phrase. Popped up again in more recent history in 2011 after the Christchurch earthquakes. I remember living in Christchurch at the time and and how hard of a time it was 
with all of the aftershocks, with everything that was happening. In fact, people said that it was the same amount of stress living in Christchurch during that time as it is living in a war zone. So the, uh, the phrase, Kia Kaha Christchurch, that popped up during this time was very appropriate. And I remember it really helped. It was a, it was a, it was a strong sense of, yes, Kia Kaha, be strong, pick yourself back up, keep moving forward. Everything's going to be fine. Great phrase. All right, on another note, we have now reached Daniel chapter 11. Uh, we're heading through the Daniel series. We've nearly made it to the end. It is the second to last chapter. You've only got one more to go. So Kia Kaha, be strong. You can get there. You know, you're going to make it. And just like a good movie, God has saved his very best for last. Chapter 11 is one of the most fascinating chapters in the whole Bible. I like it. It's great. It's one of the reasons why Daniel is my favorite book. I think I've mentioned that maybe once or twice before. Now, like a lot of the other chapters, um, in fact, chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9, and chapter 2, what you've got here is a vision. Daniel chapter 11 is a vision. It was introduced through Daniel chapter 10 a couple of weeks ago, and now this is the actual vision that God is giving to Daniel. And it is a vision concerning all of the events that are going to happen from the time of Daniel through until the time of Jesus. And then a little bit at the end in chapter 12 about some of the things that are going to happen in the end times. I'll let Reuben take care of all of that stuff. But for right now, what we've got is this great vision, just like a lot of the other chapters in Daniel. However, unlike the other chapters in Daniel, what we have here is a chapter so incredibly detailed with such precise descriptions, almost mind-numbingly precise descriptions of all of the things that are going to happen throughout these years. It is unlike anything else in Daniel. In fact, it is the most detailed prophecy in all of Scripture. Hundreds upon hundreds of details. So accurate that you know what? You could pick up a history book in one hand, and you could pick up the Bible in another awkwardly holding two of them in two hands here. You could read these two things side by side and almost not know the difference. Let's have a look. Bible says in verse 2, Now then, I tell you the truth. Three more kings will appear in Persia, then a fourth, who will be far richer than all of the others. When he has gained power by his wealth, he will stir up everyone against the kingdom of Greece. History says, After Cyrus, who was the king at this time, came Cambyses, Smyrdas, and Darius Hystaspes. Great names, great names. And then the fourth king was Xerxes I. He was far more powerful and wealthier than any of the kings before him. You may recognize Xerxes as the king who married Esther in the book of Esther in the Bible. Or you might recognize him as this weird-looking fellow in the movie 300 who attacked Greece and came up against Leonidas and his underwear-wearing underwear soldiers. If you've seen the movie, you'll understand what I'm talking about there. Spare a thought for Esther, by the way. She had to marry that guy. All right? That's, that's not a happy marriage. All right, Bible says in verse 3, Then a mighty king will appear who will rule with great power and do as he pleases. After he has appeared, his empire will be broken up and parceled out towards the four winds of heaven. 
It will not go to his descendants, nor will it have the power he exercised, because his empire will be uprooted and given to others. History says, a mighty king of Greece named Alexander the Great, you may have heard of him too, defeated Persia and quickly built a massive empire that stretched from Greece all the way down to Egypt and all the way across to India, bigger than anyone had done before him. But he died without an heir. His sons were killed. And so his empire was divided up into four sections for his four generals. Two of these generals, Ptolemy in Egypt and Seleucid, will become the kings and the kingdoms of the north and the south in this chapter. Interesting. Moving on down to verse 29, the Bible says, At the appointed time, he, the king of the north, will invade the south again, but this time the outcome will be different from what it was before. Ships of the western coastlands will oppose him, and he will lose heart. Then he will turn back and vent his fury against the Holy Covenant. He will return and show favor to those who forsake the Holy Covenant. His armed forces will rise up and desecrate the temple fortress and will abolish the daily sacrifice. Then they will set up the abomination that causes desolation. So the history book says, In 175 BC, a new king rose in the northern Seleucid Empire called Antiochus IV Epiphanes. He was successful in a lot of campaigns against the king of the south in Egypt, but in 168 BC, he led an unsuccessful attack on Egypt. Before he even reached Egypt, he was met by an ambassador from Rome, the western coastlands, who told him to withdraw his troops or face war with Rome. Having seen his father lose to Rome in battle before, Antiochus withdrew in shame. Enraged and humiliated by this defeat, Antiochus turned his attention to Israel and attacked them. He outlawed all of the Jewish worship worship practices, including sacrifice, and ordered them to worship Zeus instead. He even set up an altar to Zeus in the temple um, of the Jews and sacrificed, among other things, pigs, which was an abomination to the Jews and desolated their temple. And look, this is just a few of the excerpts from this chapter, just a few of them. This chapter is littered with hundreds of details. Historically, uh, you can look it up, and they're all true, exactly fulfilled. In fact, a lot of scholars and historians are so stumped by all of this, they said it had to have been written after the fact. There's no way this could have been written beforehand because it is just too precise, too accurate. This is what I love about the book of Daniel. This is what gets me excited about it because it's such incredible prophecy. And you can look through the history books and you can see it all exactly panned out. But you know what? I don't want to talk about history books this morning because history books don't give you the full picture of what's going on, especially this one. This is The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. I just use this for, uh, you know, for dramatic effect. But what you have in history books is you've got a lot of great details. You've got a lot of historical things, and you can see how amazingly accurate it is, but you're missing something from why God wrote the book in the first place. I don't think God gave this prophecy to Daniel and to the Jews living in that time so that they would be wowed by how much he knows about the future. I don't think he gave it to them so that they would just 
just have their, their intelligence just blown by all of this incredible accuracy. I don't think he wrote to their heads at all. I think God wrote to the hearts of these people to prepare them. Because these events were real. And these events were horrifically horrible. And so he is writing to them to prepare their hearts for what is about to unravel in their lives. Try, try putting yourself in their shoes. I mean, think about this for a second. You're living in the land of Israel, okay? And you know, the world is in absolute turmoil. Alexander the Great has just rolled through the world as you know it. He's conquered everything. He's done it with breathtaking speed. Then he dies, and his kingdom is being split up into these four different empires, these little mini empires. And so to the north, you've got the Seleucid Empire, and to the south, you've got the Ptolemy Empire. And these empires are just bent on wealth and power, and they're just constantly bickering and fighting with each other. And guess where you are? You are right in the crosshairs. You're right on the main highway between these two nations. And so every time the king of the north rolls down or the king of the south rolls up, you get trouble. But you know what? That's okay. It's fine. Let them do that. It's not a problem. You know why? Because you are the special people of God. You are the holy nation, the ones of the covenant, the children of God's covenant. And you have the temple. Jerusalem is home to this majestic temple. It is the house of the living God. This is where God lives. And if history has told you anything, this God is the real God. And no one can stand up against him. No one can defeat God. They've tried. They've failed. No one can do it. So you know what? This new king, Antiochus Epiphanes, rolls in. You know, he, he rises up and you know what? This is no problem. Yeah, he's arrogant. Yeah, he's given it his name. He, he calls himself God manifest. But you know what? That's no problem. Because this is the kind of arrogant fool that God likes to take down a notch. I mean, this is Pharaoh all over again. I mean, God manifest, you've got to be kidding me, right? This is going to be fun. This is going to be fun to watch God take this guy down. And so Antiochus Epiphanes, he rolls into town with his fury and his army. And you know what? Let's get the popcorn ready. All right, this is going to be fun. But it wasn't fun. Instead of a majestic, miraculous victory for God, Antiochus starts massacring Jews. He starts telling people, if you worship Zeus, I'll let you live. I'll give you rewards. If you worship God, I'll kill you. And he comes through with his promises. He turns people against the Holy Covenant. And then worst of all, he waltzes up to the temple, the house of Yahweh. He walks inside and he sets up an altar to Zeus. And he sacrifices pigs the most unclean animal, the one that is going to completely ruin the holiness of the temple. Your nation has never been embarrassed, never been shamed, never been defeated like this before. I mean, the exile wasn't even this bad. It's almost like Antiochus burst down the door of God's house and found it empty. Where was he? Where was this God? 
Where was this mighty hero that you have been worshiping? Where was this defeater of Pharaoh? This is the God that brought you out of slavery in Egypt. This is the God that split the Red Sea. You walked on dry land. You were waving at the fishes. Everything was great. This is the God that defeated army upon army upon army. This is the God who created the universe. This is the God that said, you are his special people. You are his family. Out of all of the nations of the world, you are the ones through which his promise will be fulfilled. He set up his house in your neighborhood so that he could be close to you. And he's abandoned you. He's gone. And it's in that moment, as the last ounce of hope disappears, dissipates out of your body, you hear God's whisper, remember Daniel. Remember Daniel the vision. Remember, I have seen this coming. I know what's happening. I knew everything that was going to happen up until this point, and I know everything that's going to happen from this point onwards. I am not surprised at any of this. I'm not shocked, and I am not defeated. You cannot defeat me. I knew this was going to happen. I decreed that this was going to happen. This only happened because I gave my express permission. And you know what? I'm still going to win. I'm still going to win. This Antiochus guy, he can have his fun, but his end is going to come. I've decreed that too. He will come and he will go. I will stay forever. I will always win. Remember Remember this verse I gave to you. Some of the wise will stumble so that they may be refined, purified, and made spotless until the time of the end, for it will still come at the appointed time. Remember. And it's at that moment you realize God is still in control. And most importantly, God is still going to win. This monster Antiochus is going to go. Everything bad that is happening in the world will end. And we will win. And that's when the true message of this chapter comes shining through. For all of the details, for all of the events, for all of the meticulously perfect prophecies that have been fulfilled. For all 1,500 words that God has given here. It is one small phrase that sticks. One small phrase that builds itself up in your hearts as this fortress of hope, fortress of strength that cannot be destroyed. Two words that sit and give you hope, that give you strength against any evil that will come your way. Two words. Kiakaha. Kiakaha. Be strong. And we know. This, this prophecy in Daniel was not just given for the Jews in Antiochus' time. It was not just given to the Jews who lived up until the time of Jesus. This prophecy has been echoing down through the centuries. It has been spreading across every culture, every nation, every people group. And it has been entering into every heart. It has been shouting from God's heart to ours this message of hope. Kiakaha. 
Be strong. Aki, aki, kia kaha er. Forever, forever be strong. Because God is going to win. I know we face a lot of different situations in our lives. I mean, we're sitting here, however many hundred people we've got here, we've got so many different lives that we're living, so many situations. And yeah, we've all got our smiles on, you know, and we're, hey, how's it going? Everything's going great, we're fine, yeah. Yeah, we believe about half of that. We know that there's people who are going through tough times. Maybe, maybe you feel like the 28th Maori Battalion. Maybe you feel like bullets are flying in from every direction. Bombs are dropping left and right. Pressure is coming at you from every side. You are constantly being attacked. Stress, finances, work, kids, marriage, mothers-in-law, depression, homesickness, illness, addictions, busyness. You're a constant barrage of stress and pressure in your lives. It's unending, and you're constantly being forced to retreat. You're constantly getting pushed back. If this is you this morning, I just have one thing to say to you. Kia kaha. Be strong. Help is coming. This too shall pass. This too has been decreed to end. Take refuge in your comrades. They didn't call it the 28th Māori, one soldier fighting by himself. It was a battalion. This church is your battalion. Our strength is in our numbers. Lean on each other. If you haven't done it yet, get yourself into a life group. These are the places where we can find that strength your platoon of hope. Maybe you feel a little bit more like a citizen of Christchurch after the earthquakes. Your life is lying in rubble all around you. Disaster has struck you in a way more powerful than you could ever imagine. You don't even know what has hit you. Maybe it's a loss of a friend. Maybe you were fired. Maybe you had a loved one arrested. Maybe there's abuse, divorce, death. And now your world is in tatters. And it's just lying in ruins around you. And you don't know what to do next. You don't know if there's any bright future for you. You don't know if there's any hope. You don't know if you can ever pick the pieces back up again. You don't even know what to physically do next. If this is you this morning, I just have one thing to say to you. Kia kaha. Be strong. Help is coming. God is right there in your pain. He's right there in the wreckage with you. His anger burns against the evil that has caused your pain. And his love for you burns even stronger. So take refuge in him. Take refuge in your community. No one in Christchurch suffered alone. 
The whole city banded together. It was a beautiful thing. They linked arms together. I've never been part of such a close community of people I've never even known. Such a strong city sense. This church can be your city. Lean on each other. If you haven't done it already, get yourself into a life group. Your own little neighborhood of hope. Maybe you feel more like the Jews stuck in the aftermath of Antiochus. <laughs> and you're wondering where this powerful God that you keep worshiping is gone. I mean, you need him. You need him now more than ever, and he's nowhere to be found. Maybe it's not even a tragedy. Maybe it's just a sense of emptiness. Maybe it's just the sense that God is nowhere near you. And you don't know what's going on. And you pray these, these prayers that feel pointless. And you sing these songs and they just feel empty. You need his guidance. You need to know what is going to happen next. Where does he want you? What is going to happen? You have purposelessness. Loneliness. This is you this morning. I only have one thing to say to you. Kiakaha. Be strong. Help is coming. God has never left. He's right there. You may not feel him, you may not see him, but he's right there. He's there when you can't hear him, when you can't feel him. And he hears all of those pointless prayers. And he relishes in all of those empty songs. And he has decreed his purposes. And he will follow through on every one of his promises. So take refuge in his words, in his book. This little letter for you. Read it. Take refuge in it. Take refuge in your compatriots. Antiochus may have entered into a temple that was empty. But the nation wasn't. God had never left Israel. He may have emptied out, cleared out of the temple, but he had not left his people. And he never will. This community of people, this church, can come around you and lift your spirits when they are low. They can open up your eyes to see him again. Lean on each other. If you haven't done it already, get yourself into a life group. It can be your own little synagogue of hope. But you know, maybe none of this applies to you. Maybe, maybe this is all sounding very dramatic because life isn't quite so bad. You know, sun's shining, it's a long weekend. You know, family's fine, everything's going great. Work is bearable, you know, you're getting by, but bills are getting paid. Everything is fine. You feel close to God, you know, you're enjoying worship. Everything is fine. The sun is shining in your soul. This is you. Awesome. That's great. I only have one thing to say to you. Kia kaha. Be strong. We know difficult times are never too far around the corner. We just know that. We may not admit it to ourselves, but we know it. So now is the time to prepare yourself. 
God gave Daniel this vision hundreds of years before a lot of this stuff ever took place because he wanted to prepare his people. Gird yourself for battle. You know, the, Mar- uh, the, the Māori 28th Battalion was brought together in January 1940, but they didn't see any action until April of 1941. So that was a whole year that they were a unit, and they were in England, and they were just doing parades and stuff, and they were nowhere near the fighting. I mean, it must have been actually pretty peaceful for them. I mean, they were in England, so there's that. But they, I mean, at least it wouldn't have been so bad, right? So you know what they were doing during that time? They were training. They were training hard. They never missed a moment to get themselves ready for the trials that they were about to face. They didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't know the fights they were about to get into. So they trained for everything. It was probably in England where the Kia Kaha motto started. It was in England, in the peace of England, where they became the soldiers that they needed to be in war. So don't miss this opportunity to train. If life is going great, then great. Celebrate that. Praise God for that. But don't miss an opportunity to train for when it gets hard again. Join up with your fellow soldiers. Lean on each other. If you haven't done it already, get into a life group. They can be your own little training group. You know what, our um, small group, we've been going for a few years now. And at first, you know, we have our kids with us. It's like the whole family group, so it's chaos. It's absolute chaos. And it was hard. It's hard to get things rolling. It was hard to kind of build those relationships. And we had to really stick it out. But I'm glad we did. Because in the last year or so, for some of us, life's got really hard. There's been a couple of moments where the feces have really hit the fan, you know. And we've been able to come together and to lean on each other and to help. Because the band comes up. That was my subtle cue for the band to come up onto the stage now. Did you get that? Awesome. Sweet. Wherever you are, I don't know where you are. I don't know what situations you face. I just hope that this chapter, and, and I encourage you, go and read it. Go and read it with a history book next to you. I mean, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. But I hope that this chapter gives you a sense of hope. I hope this whole book, this whole series through the book of Daniel has given you a sense that you can hold on. It gives you hope and strength to get through times that are difficult, whether they are right now difficult or not. I hope you can take it on. I love this verse in Daniel chapter 11, verse 32. He says, he being Antiochus will flatter and he'll win over those who have violated the covenant. But the people who know their God will kiakaha and will resist him. And my favorite verse in the Bible, have I not commanded you, says the Lord, kiakaha and be courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever 
you go. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.